From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Wednesday, March 15th. I'm Anne Herrera, senior editor for Bloomberg News, in for Stacey Marie Ishmael. Some might argue that the popularity of NFTs faded as quickly as it rose. As a refresher, non-fungible tokens, also known as NFTs, are digital certificates of authenticity for anything from collectibles to art. They're usually minted on the Ethereum blockchain, but are now also available on the Bitcoin chain. NFTs boomed in early 2022, when the cryptomania was at fever pitch but a steep decline in sales and prices quickly followed as 2022's crypto winter set in and digital asset bankruptcies piled up, culminating with the collapse of FTX late last year. As we move through 2023, though, some crypto traders are cautiously optimistic. The price of Bitcoin has risen more than 40%, and some investors have even managed to make hefty profits selling their NFT investments. Former bond traders Ovi Farouk and Mike Anderson have become well-known for recently selling their iconic board apes for around 78 ETH, which translated to roughly $9.25 million at the time. That's a whopping 700% profit. Board apes are one of the most popular NFT art collections. You may have seen them online before. They are essentially digital pictures of apes in varying outfits and facial expressions. Joining me in the studio today to discuss the ins and outs of trading NFTs are Bloomberg reporter Abhinav Ramnarayan and Ovi Farouk, co-founder of Canary Labs. Abby, Ovi, thanks so much for joining me today. It's good to have two people in the flesh inside the studio. Often we do these like recorded from all over the world, so it's quite nice. I can't really see your faces properly because of the mics, but... Probably for the best, yeah. (laughs) In my case, anyway. (laughs) All right. right. So we're starting. You're going to, you know, it's going to be a fun episode because we already have some humor from the beginning. So let's start, Ovi. Do you want to maybe give our listeners an overview of what sort of the board ape collection is um, and why you bought it and when you first got interested. And then we can take further steps back to what you were doing before, but just to set the scene for people who may not have heard of them. Yeah, that's a, you know, and all these things that I've done, no one's ever asked me what are the board apes. So um, it's nice to actually figure out how I'm going to answer that question. But, um, you know, in its most basic form, they're just 10,000 pictures of um, randomly generated apes with different traits and stuff. And some are rarer than others. Some are more valuable than others based on their rarity. And only one of those apes has given you access to all these various things that the that Yuga Labs, the creators have done, whether it's 
access to new drops, whether it's access to the parties that they have, whether it's access to some of the crypto tokens they've dropped. Um, and the original drop they did back in April 2021, that served as the, the access parcel token to everything that they've done since then. So when did you get interested and when did you buy your first board Ape? So I actually bought them when they minted. That's what, when something mints in the NFT world, it's the same thing as like, you consider it as an ICO or an IPO or whatever. So it's the first time they were selling it. Um, I actually was working at Barclays at the time in New York and I just quit my job. So um, I was kind of like feeling a bit emotional and stuff when I got home and I was already trading NFTs at this point and I basically just saw it on Twitter and thought it looked interesting because the website was the first professionally done thing that I'd seen. And, um, you know, I went ahead and, and minted them. And I think they were about $200 each at the time to actually buy. And then how much were they when you sold them? So th there, were, there were two iterations of this. When The first time I, I actually minted about 150 of them and I sold them all within the space of about a week. Um, and I sold them anywhere between, I think they were about $200 to mint. I sold them anywhere between um, about $2,000 to like up to $30,000 each, I would say. So taking a step further back, you were mentioning your New York days and that you'd, you'd quit your job. So what were you doing before? And why did you quit that job to go into NFTs? Yeah, so I used to be a trader. I used to trade high yield and distressed credit at Barclays. I did that for about 10 years. I spent um, six years in London and, and, and three years in New York. And I enjoyed doing it. But look, in, in 2021, I had this big, every, like many people had this big view on inflation and, and the Fed not increasing interest rates. And I couldn't express that in the book that I was trading. I was like, well... Um, none of this stuff is going to get impacted in year one. So I wanted to find a way to like put that trade on. I was like, cool, I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it PA. And um, I've been crypto skeptic for many, many years. And that was the first year I bought Bitcoin in 2021 after hating it for so long. And myself and my colleague, Michael, we were looking at um, potentially buying art or collectibles. These are very like inflation-proof investments. And we just stumbled on NFTs, which is, and to be fair, it was Michael that stumbled on them first, um, which are basically collectibles on chain. So we had this like crypto element to it and we had the collectibles element to it. So the way that we used to describe it was it's inflation squared. And um, it was obviously a very risky trade. And, but, you know, we knew if we took a shot at it and, and we were right, the, the upside would be a lot bigger. So this brings Abby and Abby, you cover credit, right? Can you give us an overview of the macro environment, what it was at the time and how it's changed now, right? Because it's a very different situation. And a lot of the narrative around Bitcoin at the time, as you were saying, is like it's a hedge against inflation, where, whereas now, you know, inflation has shut up and it's not really turned out to be great for Bitcoin or any other risky asset, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, I think um, I did a little bit of reporting on Bitcoin when I was part of the FX and rates uh, team in the past. So I had a small flavor of what cryptocurrency was like. I mean, I was by no means the crypto reporter or anything. I just did a little bit of work on it. What I found really interesting was looking at all the various factors that went into it. Uh, on the one side, I did see the argument that it was an inflation hedge, that that um, crypto was an inflation hedge. But on the other, on the other side of that, there was uh, so much irrational exuberance. I mean, today you look at how SPACs have completely collapsed. I mean, the last few SPACs are now being flogged for nothing. Um, you look at a lot of the IPOs at the time, they've gone down like 80%, 90%. Um, you look at Peloton as a stock. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a lot of irrational exuberance. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that crypto was very much a part of that. 
I've pulled up a few correlations today. I, I had a look at how high yield bond, European high yield bonds um, compared to Ether, which is, I guess, the, the the closest comparable to NFTs that we can get on the terminal. And um, there is a little bit of a correlation, um, not a super strong correlation, but the correlation to Tesla is quite striking uh, as a stock. And the correlation to Peloton is unbelievably striking. I mean, it's almost t- taking the same trajectory. That I'm talking about Ether versus um, um, versus Peloton. So if you take credit markets as, I would say that cryptocurrency is a souped up version of credit markets. And um, I would say NFTs are sort of, I mean, you call it, version of that. You, call it in, you call it inflation squared. I would call it exuberance squared as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but there is a correlation and that, I find that interesting. And it actually makes me more hopeful for the future of NFTs than, um, than, than anything else I've seen, actually. In terms of in anything else you've seen, like crypto wise or? Well, uh, what I mean is there seems to be a method to the madness. There seems to be some, um, some logic to why it's trading the way it is. Ovi, I see you nodding there. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the big thing that we touched upon was inflation. And it's actually a common misconception that Bitcoin is a good hedge for inflation. That's incorrect, in my view, anyway. Bitcoin is a hedge for inflation when you have a low interest rate environment. And that was the environment in 2021. The Fed redu- refused to, re- to increase interest rates. Inflation starts to go higher. And that means like in this in this environment where like money is cheap, if you like, everyone wants to take the highest risk possible. And that's the environment that we had. So 2022, it all broke down because... We still had inflation, but the Fed was like, we're like, oh, damn, like we have to increase interest rates now, finally. And then that hits NASDAQ, as you said, and, and all the tech stocks. And that has the highest correlation to crypto, which then in turn has correlation to NFTs. But I think NFTs are an interesting hybrid asset class. Like on the one hand, you have traditional market correlation, you have crypto correlation. But on the other hand, they are collectibles. Like people go out there and buy things that they want to own from an art perspective or from a, from a collecting standpoint. And um, you know, it's the same thing when you see, you might see a crazy auction at Christie's for like a banana stuck to the wall that goes for millions of dollars. And people are like, you know, why? Like, I don't get, understand where that price has come from. Um, NFTs definitely have that element of it where um, you have institutions that are collecting, you have maybe galleries that are collecting, you have large collectors who are collecting and their mindset's like, I just want to own the most expensive crypto punk because I have the bragging rights for it. And that's where some of these... Um, crazy exuberant prices come from if you like but um you know sometimes it just takes two people to tango in an auction and, and that's where you, that's where you get it and that's where i think people have a misunderstanding of what nfts actually are versus when trying to compare them to traditional assets after the break we'll hear more from bloomberg's abhinav ramnarayan an nft investor ovi farouk on what makes a good trader and the intersection of nfts and ai Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. So, you know, a lot of people lost money on crypto this year and NFTs. How much has your experience as a trader helped? Like, would you suggest that someone who doesn't have finance experience, doesn't have trading experience, quit their job and um, start trading NFTs? I would say two things. The first thing I would say is that we had a massive, massive advantage 
having been institutional traders for seven or eight years. Should retail traders be investing in this market? Well, I have to say a lot of people have probably, I'm sure they've lost a lot of money doing it, but I've come across and met so many people who have zero experience in trading, zero work experience at a bank. A lot of them haven't even gone to university. Some of them are probably 17 or 18 years old, and they would make like three times more money than anyone else on Wall Street or in, or in the city of London because trading, you don't need the education for it. You have, a, you have to have a natural aptitude for knowing where the momentum is going, understanding how to manage your risk, understanding how to have discipline. And that is a natural thing that you can't um, you can't teach, you can't train that. It's a, it's a, it really is a natural skill set. And honestly, I've met so many people, I was like, wow, like you should, if you went and, and, and spent a year trading high yield bonds, you would make more money than anyone else because you understand how to take risks, you understand when to take profits. And those are two things you don't need to go to university for, you don't need a career in finance for. And so I would say, yes, like maybe retail investors should have more protection and there should be, you know, more regulation to, to, to help that. But should retail investors not trade NFTs and not trade crypto? Absolutely not. You should give it a go. And you never know, you might be good at it because it's a skill that you don't practice or learn in any other um, or many other facets of your life. And I think you need to try it to, to know if you're good or not, basically. What are the biggest things that are like things that you watch out for, right? Like this last year, you could have lost money on FTX, BlockFi, Gemini, like a number of places that, you know, where uh, your money could have been locked up. So, you know, how do you how do you manage all these risks? It's not just a question of like, you know, a trade downside. It's like you could lose all your money, all your collateral, everything from one day to the next. Yeah. Number one rule of any trading or investing, if you're doing it personally, is only invest or gamble gamble with and i will use the word gamble because there is an element of that with money i that... wanted to say it before and you were describing the situation <laughs> but i was like oh let, let's be nice but you said it so yeah. go on um with money that you can afford to lose so if you have your net worth in crypto then take 90 percent of it out because or 50 percent of it out because um there is huge tail risk in crypto and look ftx and block and all this stuff was a big example of that where like, i know people who were some of the best traders in crypto who lost millions of dollars in, in their whole net worth on FTX because of just like some black swan event. And so the number one rule is don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Number two rule, which would have saved you for FTX and the golden rule of crypto is not your keys, not your crypto. So and if you're not self-custodying something, so by that I mean you don't have it in your own wallet where you're the only person who has access to it and has the private keys to it, um, then it's a risk. And that's the problem with FTX because if you have your crypto on an exchange or if you're staking it, then you don't have access to it. Like someone else has access to it and controls your money. And this is the whole original thesis of Bitcoin anyway. So, um, you know, with those two things, you already eliminate something like 80% of the risks. And then from then on, it's like learning by doing, you know, like remember the shady characters who told you to buy something and it went down. Like remember that time you got greedy and didn't take profits and you should have sold half of what you have. Like set yourself rules, guidelines and stick to them and strip the emotion out of it those things you i really think you can eliminate a lot of risk by doing that and most people just don't take these these steps i would say so where do you see now opportunities with with nfts that you know what what's interesting right because the names we keep hearing are the ones that were around during the rally is there anything new that's like interesting or anything you know fun or like even not from like an investing perspective but like an art perspective you're an art you're, you're also an artist right yeah that's right okay. yeah there's this idea of the digital renaissance which i know sounds really funny but um, a bit cheesy. Yeah, yeah, a bit cheesy, I know. I, but I love to use it anyway. <laughs> um, but if you think about um, 
the world and, and where it's going and you know this whole concept of ai and chat gpt and um you have this segment of art which is generated by code whether it's ai art or generative art and it's all stored a lot of it is stored on chain or is generated on chain and like intellectually i think that's very interesting and it's actually used to create and produce arts and if you think about art as in the history of art overall it spans thousands of years and you have different periods like the renaissance etc where you could collect early pieces and generative art is a is not a new thing but generative art on chain is a relatively new thing and has probably only existed for three or four years so i think it's a great big opportunity to actually collect what will become pieces of history because it's new you've never really had it before and nfts only really started in what 2016 2017 so you're at like you're five years into what could potentially be decades or even centuries of this idea of art on chain and art generated by code and I think this whole AI buzz thing is going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it will be in many elements of our lives and um, its application to art I think is very very interesting and, and presents a big so opportunity. So this is art made by computers basically and then and then it's the NFT of that of that art made by computers essentially. It's art made by code and um, it's then they're made as NFTs but you know if you if you want to get really geeky and nerdy about it there are, there are more aspects of it like like something that's provably random is the art doesn't exist the code exists and when you go to actually mint your piece um you don't know what it's going to be until it's created and it's minted um and it still looks good because of the way that the code was written so and you're sure no one came up of it came up with it like in the last month when all the ai stocks were going up and like <laughs> let's find a let's find a way to show something new right like they were thinking about it before I, I it's not a narrative to fit the to fit the selling need. Generative art has been around. No, okay. <laughs> generative art's been around for a while, and I think the best things are things that are high value that have been high value for at least two or three years. But um, no, this is this is not a me. This is not a. I'm using Bloomberg as my exit liquidity thing. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'll be right back with Bloomberg reporter Abhinav Ramnarayan and bond trader turned NFT founder Avi Farooq as we discuss the future of NFTs and what it's like to have Snoop Dogg buy your digital art. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So, Avi, what about sort of the macro environment, right? Like, because if if you we look ahead, you know, it's, we've had crypto downturns before. We said many times, but you know, the macro environment was kind of the same throughout, and the reasons why it crashed were like crypto specific. What's the outlook now for like the world? You're you're our, like broadening out sort of person. Um, I. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to be definitive about it, but I would say that crypto probably uh, has another sell-off in it. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I don't, I, I'm sorry <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm not uh, if I'm not sort of agreeing with Ovi on this. Uh, but um, I mean, essentially, we've seen a little bit of recovery in most risky assets. So once again, this we talked about this correlation between um, um, NFTs and crypto and the credit market, and all of these assets. What they have in common is that they're risky and that investors take risk when they buy them. And we've seen risky assets in general rally quite a bit at the st- um, in the first couple of months of this year. 
and i'm not sure that the rationale for that rally is is completely solid so i think there could be another painful sell off in risk in general and i would imagine that crypto is a part of that so um i do think the immediate future is uncertain very uncertain the long term future um i mean i once again i'm a little bit encouraged um by the fact that it has behaved like a, a risk asset and it's not just behaved in some kind of completely random manner so i i suspect it's here to stay uh one of the reasons why um uh, crypto and nfts rallied quite strongly in the last couple of years is that a lot of capital was available there were stimulus checks in the us there was a lot of leverage available people were able to take on debt to buy things all of that has gone so whether or not this is going to if it's ever going to go back to the heady heights of 2021 or 2020 Personally, I don't think so, but I'm uh, but I'm putting myself on record here, and maybe I'll, so maybe I'll be proven horribly wrong in all weekends. Fortunately, we're not the traders here, right? <laughs> we're not the traders, so like it's fine. We're not we're not actually have. We, you could just say what you what you see. Is there anything that you miss about bond trading? Yeah, Abby actually asked me that as I walked in, and um, it's been a while since I've been to the city, and I got the tube and everything, so I was like kind of having flashbacks of of getting to, going to the office, but. Um I think there I think the answer is yes like when you're on this side of the fence where you know I'm just sitting there making my risk decisions and um you know and on days when the market's down I'm just like oh that kind of sucks but there's nothing that I can really do to act on it um I miss it because when you're on the trading floor and you're trading pile bonds or distress bonds or CDS and there's like 5% swings in stocks and you know like 20 30 40 point swings in bonds and you're there as a market maker and someone's calling you and it's like hey like I need a price in this and I need a price right now and you have to kind of think on the spot and it has this thrill and excitement that you don't get in th- in the world that I'm in now because I'm not constantly being asked for a price it is just as simple as that I just like sometimes I sit there and say like, oh can someone just ask me to like make a market on ether or make a market on board apes or something because um you know I guess you could say like maybe I'm somewhat I'm definitely a risk seeker and maybe somewhat of a thrill seeker and um that element of it I think the fast paced nature of it I think I miss and um I don't know how I can recreate that for myself now without going back to work working for a bank but I would de- I definitely miss that part of it for sure. All right, so you had a you had a very famous uh purchaser of one of your NFTs. Maybe start by telling us what sort of NFTs you make other than you know buy them and then who this famous purchaser was. Who's who's very known to crypto circles, right? Who is it? <laughs> yeah. Um so I used to, I actually used to create a lot of digital art when I was younger before I went to university and when I got back into NFTs I just got the itch to start drawing and creating again so um you know I create like editions or one of one artworks which are animated pieces a lot of them is like based on being a trader and all that kind of stuff um and I have this collection called Wrecked Guy which is like um 8000 images of like a skull drinking out of the bottle and the idea is like this is someone who always gets wrecked in crypto or trading or whatever a lot of people right which now which is a lot of people yeah a lot of people <laughs> right now exactly Um that's basically it and yeah so um we launched the collection I launched the collection in May of last year and a couple of weeks later Snoop Dogg actually bought a couple of them which was which was very surreal it was a, it was a strange moment How did me. you know that Snoop Dogg was was buying them like how does that happen So I I was actually I was actually on like a stag with my friends in Newcastle and um we were all like you know drinking and stuff and so I was like hey like Snoop Dogg just bought one of your NFTs and then I was like, "What?" So I looked at his Twitter account and he posted it. I think he wrote something like "Time to get wrecked" or something like that. And he has a public Ethereum wallet, so you could see 
that he owned it in his wallet and that he purchased it. That, that's very cool. Does he still have it? Do you know? He still has. I believe he has two of them. Yeah, he still has them. Yeah, oh, that, that's cool. So I guess to, to wrap things up, what's your biggest pet peeve now with the NFT world? Like what needs to be fixed, like for it to be more efficient and, you know, to raise some doubts, if you have any doubts about it, like what is the biggest pain point? I think the biggest pain point is there are still way too many bad actors. And if you take the NFT market as a whole, I really think 90% of it is garbage. I, like I really do. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry if I offend anyone with that comment. Um, we didn't say who the 90% is, right? Like everybody <laughs> can think they're part of the 10. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it just encourages too many bad actors and people are coming to, people know they can sell things very seamlessly and make money without actually fulfilling um, the roadmaps they put out or right, having the right in intentions. And you just, you know, every month or every couple of weeks, you just get another NFT project which says, hey, we're going to build a metaverse game and conquer the world. And the next thing you know, three months later, they've all just run off with the money. And that's something that needs to be fixed. I think I'm not like a no regulation guy, full decentralization. I think you need responsible regulation for this industry to thrive and, and achieve mainstream adoption. And I think laws around like communication and maybe having some kind of like quality control aspects before coming to market, these sorts of things I think need to be there um, uh, to stop there being a flow of money out of innocent retail investors into people with bad intentions. All right. On this very, very responsible note, thank you again for, for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Bloomberg reporter Abhinav Ramnarayan and Canary Labs co-founder Ovi Farooq. You can find more of Abhinav's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. For more, be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A quick programming note for you. We're working on something new that expands on how we're covering crypto and the future of finance. And we'll be back soon to tell you more. Follow or subscribe to Bloomberg Crypto to stay tuned for updates. We'll be bringing you info about what's next right here in this feed. In the meantime, Get caught up on all of our Bloomberg iHeart podcasts, The Big Take Daily, Crash Course, and our narrative series, In Trust. To stay in touch with Bloomberg Crypto, you can find our coverage, as always, at Bloomberg.com slash crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more 
at QatarEconomicForum.com.